0: Section 3 of the Moon Destroyers by Munro K. Rutch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. A Sudden Encounter The map of the Moon was not as complete as it could have been either. No particular interest had been taken in our satellite since the first exploratory expeditions nearly 50 years before when it had been determined that the moon was of no value to Earthmen, either as an outpost for colonization or a station for the production of power from the sun's rays. Jack did the best he could, however, and the little dots he placed on the map were close enough together to assure complete vaporization of the solid material in less than the allotted time. At the end of the second day out, by earth time, the dead satellite loomed immense, only five thousand miles ahead. Holden was in the pilot house when Edwards began turning on the deceleration tubes. I flashed your message to the other ships, he said, as his quick fingers touched the buttons which sent messages to the tube room, telling them to stand by and land with us. I understand that the plan "'is to use these ships to travel over the surface of the moon, "'making landings in such positions "'that expeditions can be sent out in four directions "'to plant cartridges. "'That will certainly give us plenty of time "'if nothing goes wrong.' "'I don't see what could go wrong,' replied Holden, "'since that madman is out of the way.' "'Eagerly he watched the dead, dust-covered surface approach.' marveling at the huge craters and precipitous peaks in two hours the five thousand miles had been reduced to less than that many yards and in a few more minutes the three great ships were settling softly on the smooth surface of the plain at the foot of mount julian space suits were rapidly donned the airlocks set in operation and the men hastily began unloading the first four charges of hexoxen and Europium. Holden called a meeting of the ship commanders in the pilot room of the San Francisco. Commander Hughes, he addressed the man in charge of the Los Angeles, you will proceed toward Mount Locke and continue in that line until you reach the spot marked on this chart, which is directly opposite our present position. Rogers, you take the Ganymede, and go at an angle of 120 degrees to Hugh's course, toward Mount Zoga. I will continue over the crater of Aristotle. We will keep in constant communication with each other by means of the space phone. Time the charges so that they will commence to react on the afternoon of the 28th, thus giving a sufficient margin of time in case of delays due to parties getting lost. That's all. The Ganymede and the Los Angeles left almost immediately, while men from the San Francisco set out to plant the first charges. There were four men to each cartridge, since it was necessary that they travel fast. Holden smiled as the lean figure of Professor Erickson, almost lost in the spacesuit, bounded away in great leaps at the head of his party in five hours they returned having had no trouble at all edwards manipulated the controls and the ship rose quickly to an altitude of about five thousand feet and headed for the rim of the crater of aristotle barely visible in the distance as they neared the rim they rose higher and higher the mammoth cliffs of black rock towered above them and the meters registered a height of five miles as they passed through a crack in the cliffs and looked down on the level floor beneath them suddenly holden who had been inspecting the country from one of the bow ports uttered an exclamation of astonishment a tiny ship is rising toward us from the floor of the crater near the cliffs there it was, a speck rapidly growing larger, headed straight for them, and gaining velocity with every foot it covered. Edwards worked frantically with the controls, diving in a zigzag path toward the strange craft. Captain Linnett rushed in, carrying one of the light hexoxen guns. Holden hurried to help him place it in a specially designed aperture in the bow. While Ericsson and the regular radio men endeavored to establish communications with the intruder, a voice suddenly spoke from their instrument You will consider yourselves our captives. Land at once as close as possible to the white spot you see at the base of the cliff. If you do not obey instructions, we will ram you immediately. Don't reply for a moment, Holden commanded focusing his glasses in the direction indicated as the powerful lenses brought out every detail of the scene below he paled visibly what's the matter demanded Erickson. matter enough was the amazing reply we've run into a den of some bandits they must be the fiends who have been preying on the earth mars shipping the tremendous speed of the dive had brought them so close that all could see. Without the aid of binoculars, the great skeletons of wrecked ships piled up at the base of the precipice. Tell those rats to go to hell, snapped Holden, and get in touch with our own ships. Use code and tell them to get here as quickly as possible, prepared for a fight. Get near enough to this pirate ship to open on it with the hexoxen guns. "'Can you keep them from ramming us, Edwards?' "'I think so, for a time at least.' The enemy's craft was now only a few hundred yards away, and Holden scrutinized it closely for any sign that might give a clue to the original builders or present owners. Not over a 150 feet in length, with no visible openings, it looked like a slightly fattened steel needle. Its stern tubes were of the ordinary type, they glowed red against the silvery background, as the enemy swooped and circled, trying to get into position for a final crushing blow. Every man in spacesuits, Holden ordered. Good work, Linnet, he cried, as he saw a sudden pockmark appear in the pirate's side, where the devastating hexoxen bullet had struck. They've certainly got thick plates, remarked the captain as another direct hit failed to do more than scratch the metal probably heavier up in front if they mean what they say about ramming i'm going to concentrate on the stern the dull red surface of the moon the black walls of the crater and the twinkling stars of outer space mingled in a fantastic whirl as edwards skillfully kept the san francisco out of the enemy's reach at the same time giving lenit and the men in the observation compartment, sufficient opportunity to train their guns on vital spots. It was a hopeless game, though, for the smaller ship was incredibly fast. Erickson straightened up from his position behind the operator of the space phone. We can't make any connections with either the Ganymede or the Los Angeles. Probably these pirates have developed a shield which Thrown around their victims prevents any message from getting to the outside. That looked bad. Erickson switched the receiver back to the wavelength of the enemy. A continual stream of taunts and threats came from the loudspeaker. "'Why don't you surrender?' the gruff voice barked. "'You haven't a chance against us, but if you surrender, "'you may be allowed to work with us for your own benefit as well as ours.'" go to hell. The formerly meek Ericsson roared into the transmitter, surprised at his own rage. Then finally, and with a desperate dash, the tiny pirate ship darted in. Edwards did his best to swerve away from the needlepoint, but in vain. There was a shattering crash. Holden felt himself hurled through the air. But his heavy spacesuit saved him, from being crushed as he hit the wall of the room. Edwards stayed with the controls somehow, cursing savagely. Only a glancing blow, but it smashed all the main stern tubes and evidently disabled the anti-gravitational shield transmitter. We're going down. Holden dashed to a port and glanced out. A welcome sight met his eyes. The enemy also injured, was heading for home as fast as his disabled engines permitted those oxen bombs must have weakened his plating so that it sprang when he rammed us edwards exclaimed when he saw what was happening slowly the san francisco sank toward the red and black volcanic ash of the crater floor a hasty inspection revealed that edwards had been correct AND HIS DIAGNOSIS OF THE TROUBLE. EXTENSIVE REPAIRS WOULD BE NECESSARY BEFORE THEY COULD PROCEED. BUT, FORTUNATELY, NO ONE WAS SERIOUSLY HURT, AND THE MAIN SHELL SHOWED NO SIGNS OF STRAINS OR LEAKS. AS SOON AS EDWARDS HAD BROUGHT THEM SAFELY TO REST ON THE GROUND, HOLDEN CALLED A COUNCIL OF WAR. FROM THE WAY THESE CHAPS FIGHT, IT'S EVIDENT THAT THEY HAVE NO WEAPONS, other than the bow of their ship, and possibly some short-range ray pistols, or the still more antiquated guns using some form of explosive to expel metal bullets. As soon as the shadow of the cliff throws this section of the crater into darkness, I'm going to do a little exploring, and see if I can't find out where these rats hide, when they're not out in space. You throw a line of pickets around the ship. Edwards, get started on repairs. And Erickson, keep on trying to get in touch with our companions. End of section three. Recording by Paul Harvey.